We're going to be talking today about Bible stories. We're talking about the birth of Isaac in particular, and I would encourage you to open your Bibles and follow along. We're going to begin in Genesis 11, and there is a Bible app event for this message. That's an easy way to follow along. You're welcome to grab that and use that if you would like to. Today, we are talking about the birth of Isaac, that is Abraham and Sarah's son. And at the end of the message, we're going to receive communion together. So I'm really really hoping God will speak during this time. So years ago, I was hunting with my brother-in-law on Thanksgiving. It was kind of a tradition for John and I. We would go to Laurel's parents and his wife, Kathy's parents. Laurel and Kathy are sisters. John and I would first thing in the morning go out into the woods and see if we could scare up anything with our shotguns over our shoulders. We were out there hunting together, and it was back before they had the pocket hunting license, so it had to be displayed on your back. And the little pouch, the holder that he had his license displayed in, was it looked like it was from the 1700s. I mean, I thought George Washington used that when he went hunting. It was so old, it was torn apart, it was fraying, it was coming apart at the seams, and I just made a mental note. I'm going to get him one of those for Christmas. Because on Christmas, we did the same thing that we did on Thanksgiving. We hopped in the car and went to Dad and Mom's house and went into the woods and hunted the first thing in the morning while they were preparing the Christmas feast, and then in the evening, we would open our gifts. So when Christmas come around, he and I went hunting again. And I saw he had that same license holder. And I knew I'd bought one for him for Christmas. So I started being that guy. John, your hunting license holder is shot. Yeah, I know, Steve. Well, don't you have a spare? No. Who has a spare? I don't have a spare, Steve. Well, aren't you worried that your license will fall out? I mean, that thing is falling off your back. Yeah, I guess. Not much. John, your license is going to fall out. Okay, Steve, I know. It's going to fall out. Well, you're not worried, but I'm worried. Come over here. Your license is sticking out. Let me fix it. So I made a big production of, you know, moving the license thing around on his back and so on. And when I got done, uh, he said, okay, Steve. I said, that license holder is garbage. (laughs) Just such a rude thing to say, right? That license holder is garbage. Well, after we hunted, we went in, spent the afternoon watching a little bit of football or whatever was on, had thanks or Christmas dinner, and then we sat down and opened the gifts. And I gave him some of the standard gifts, maybe a pair of gloves or something like that. And then I gave him this little small package at the end of the evening. I said, oh, John, there's one more present for you from me. And he opened it up, and it was a license holder for his hunting coat. And we both laughed. And I can still remember him saying, I couldn't figure out why you were being such a jerk about that. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I was pushing the issue because I knew what was coming. We had a great time. Okay, now, if you set aside the obnoxious brother-in-law aspect of that story and think of just the idea of pushing the issue because you know what's coming, I think that's what God kind of does in this story. He's pressing the issue of Abraham and Sarah's childlessness because he knows what is coming. Now, before I get to the sermon proper, there's just a couple things I want to address. First, Abraham and Sarah's condition, childlessness, is painful for many couples. But for other couples, it's no issue at all. If you don't want children, then it's not an issue for you. But it was difficult. 
difficult for Abraham and difficult for Sarah. You know that because when you read in Genesis 15, when God is giving him the first or one of the renderings of the covenant, he says, Abraham says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham is in pain. And last week's story, if you listened last week, if you were here last week, of Hagar and Ishmael speaks volumes about the depth of Sarah's desire to have a child. Sarah was in pain. And some of you have had this pain in an ongoing kind of way. Some are in church right here who have this pain, this issue right now. And if that's you, please listen to me carefully. Many in your church family feel your pain. In some cases, they've been there, so they know what this feels like. And they hold you in their prayers. Others in your church family while they don't have an experiential knowledge of your pain, they've never been there, don't write them off as not being able to connect with your pain. Because they do, even though they've not walked your pathway, we all know pain. And they, too, hold you in their prayers. You're not alone. Kerwinsville Alliance prays for you. And God, he is there for you. The second thing I want to say before we move to the sermon proper is that Sarah seemed to feel that God had done this to her. I say that because of what she says in chapter 16. She says to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Did he? Maybe. Maybe not. This kind of question is something that all Christians wrestle with, and I guess we kind of need to wrestle with this kind of question. We ask, did God do this? And even if we feel that he's done it, or don't feel that he's done it, rather, like God would never do something evil, so he hasn't done this, we still ask the question, well, then why did he let it happen? And why hasn't he fixed it? And asking why... It's something we do on all issues like this. The big issues and the small issues. From a little boy, four years old, who's inconsolable because an 18-wheeler ran over his puppy. Why? To the little boy who's 10 years old and his grandparents stay at school. And he never met his because they died before he was born. Why? To the 16 or 17-year-old who's going to the prom and says, of all the times to get a zit right on my nose, why? (laughs) Right? Why? Those questions are real questions. One of the most revolutionary moments, and I have told it to you numerous times, and I will tell it to you until I die, because I want this knowledge to permeate your brain so much that it seeps into your heart. One of the most revolutionary moments in my life regarding the why question 
occurred when a young woman was killed in a car accident. And standing with his pastor beside the coffin of his 19-year-old daughter, the grieving father asked, Pastor Jim, why? Why? And that pastor's reply was powerful. He said, even if I had the answer, it would not take away your pain. And so that kind of brings you to a point as you begin to process that and assimilate that kind of thinking into your brain, it kind of brings you to a point where you begin to think maybe why is the wrong question? And maybe it is. Maybe what is a better question? What are you going to do with this? Or how is even a better question? How then will I live in light of this? How am I going to walk this journey? And as you prepare your heart for communion today, as we prepare to take communion together today, I want to look at the birth of Isaac and discover how God walks this journey with us and how he perceives it and where he is in it. So your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to be reading at verse 27 in just a moment. And what I want to point out to you at the start of this is that God really presses the issue with Abraham and Sarah. He is the one who mentions her childlessness more than once. He presses the issue of Isaac with them. And it's an issue because it didn't look like Isaac would ever be born. It didn't look like they would ever have a child. The whole topic is introduced in Genesis chapter 11 at toward the end of the chapter in verse 27, where it's kind of giving a family tree. Listen as I read. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishka. And then verse 30. Now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Okay. It's a family tree. <laughs> and while it is Terah's family tree, it's going to be all about Abram's family line. Abram is the guy in this verse, in this passage, that the next 65 books of the Bible are going to be about his family line, all the way from here in Genesis to Revelation. How ironic is it that the one guy whose wife is childless would be the key person in the family tree. And God, when he's breathing the words of Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed, when he's breathing these words by his Holy Spirit, he mentions it. Now, Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Let me ask you a question. Could it be that God is gently pressing the issue of Sarah's condition because he knows that sorrow will be turned to laughter. Let's move forward in the story. Let's go to Genesis 17. We're going to be at verse 15. And we're going to see here that God is giving a promise to Abram 
The first time God makes this promise and brings up the covenant, he says, Abram, you're going to be the father of many nations. Look at all those stars, so shall your offspring be. But he doesn't mention Sarai specifically. But the second time, this time, in, in Genesis 17, God gives this covenantal promise and explicitly mentions Sarah. Look at verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Okay, pause there a minute. We'll come back to this passage in seconds. But I want you to remember, Abraham already knows Sarah can't have children. He's discussed this with God two chapters earlier. And Sarah, she is not getting any younger. So look what happens in verse 17. Abraham fell face down. (laughs) He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? The very thought of this makes Abraham laugh. God knows their sorrow will be turned to laughter. Abraham is a man who thinks through problems. You know, men tend to be problem solvers, right? And so in the very next verse, in verse 18, it says, And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. You remember who that was? If you weren't here last week, maybe you missed that. But Sarah had a slave, and she gave that slave Hagar to Abraham, and she conceived, and Hagar gave birth to a little boy named Ishmael. Abraham loved that boy. He says, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing, verse 19. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. There's a phrase there. You will call him Isaac. That name, Isaac, you know what it means, right? Laughter. Laughter. Could it be that God is pressing this issue because he knows that their sorrow will be turned to laughter? In verse 21, you see that God clearly sees Isaac. He identifies Isaac as a child who will be the child of promise. Verse 21 says, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this next year. You know what? You could almost read that this way. My covenant will be established with laughter. Huh. Interesting, huh? God knows the sorrow will be turned to laughter. Okay, let's move ahead. Let's go to the next chapter, chapter 18 of Genesis. And you're going to see that even Sarah, who has heard this promise, finds this thought laughable. I really love how chapter 18 unfolds this story. 
and the social interaction that's going on there. In the first verse, it tells you this is God, and it repeats that in, in verse 13. And when it says the Lord, it has it in capital letters, which you know by now means it's the covenantal name of God, Yahweh, is one of these three men. Okay? So look at verse 1 of chapter 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Okay, that's kind of an introductory verse there. God's going to show up. And now verse 2 kind of opens those details. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down low to the ground. Does Abraham know who these guys are? Hmm, I think he has a clue. One scholar note that the proper thing for Abraham to have done, if he's sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day, kind of relaxing, and he happens to see some travelers coming toward his property, toward where he is, the proper thing for him to have done would have been to stand up. Like, okay, I see you. What do you have in mind? I do that on my cul-de-sac. If I see a pickup truck or another car going around kind of slowly and they're making two or three rounds and they're not part of the neighborhood, I go out and stand right on my porch like this. That's what I do, right? That's what Abraham normally would have done. That's what anyone normally would have done, but that's not what Abraham does here. He runs and he's 90 years old, 100. He runs toward him and bows down to the ground. Abraham knew this was no ordinary traveler. And then, as you would expect, he shows him hospitality. Look at verse 3. If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So he and Sarah get to work. Verse six. So Abraham hurried to the tent, into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and some milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set them before them. And then Abraham does what to us is the weirdest thing you could do. Look look at what it says at the end of verse 8. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. I want you to just think back to all the British movies you've ever watched where rich people were having a meal and a servant kind of just stood there and watched while they ate and made sure their glass was full. That's what Abraham is doing because in verse 5, he already identified himself as the servant. So here again, in the middle of this incident, God is going to press the issue. He's going to bring up Sarah and her childlessness again. In verse 9, where is Sarah, your wife, they ask. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am old, worn out, let me start again. 
After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. (laughs) But he said, Yes, you did laugh. Now, some might feel like God is reprimanding Sarah for laughing here. I sincerely doubt it. He doesn't even reprimand her for lying. He doesn't give any hint of condemnation. But what does what he does, what God does, is point out to a woman whose every thought of childbearing has been marked by sorrow that she is now laughing. Did you catch that? The laughter hasn't even been born. I mean, Isaac hasn't even been born. He's not even conceived. And already her sorrow is turning to laughter. Some people wonder, why does she laugh? Is it because of how crazy it seems that at 90 years of age you'd have a baby? Absolutely. I'm sure that's one of the reasons she laughs. But is there another kind of laugh? I think there is. I think this is also that other kind of laugh, that joyful giggle, you know, at the very thought, (laughs) I'm going to have a baby. That kind of laugh, absolutely. But the whole point of this divine visit is that God wants to press the issue. Abraham and Sarah, you have been struggling with great pain, but your sorrow is changing. It is being turned to laughter. All right, let's get in the car. Let's go to the hospital. Let's go right into the birthing room. Genesis chapter 21, okay? Genesis chapter 21 verse 7 shows us God redeeming this issue. What'd I say? Genesis 21 verses 1 through 7. That's what I meant to say. Okay, good. Let's see how God does it. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore to him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as the Lord had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who'd have thunk it? Well, that's not exactly what she said. Who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children, and yet I have borne him a son in his old age? (laughs) Indeed, Sarah, we laugh with you. Now, there are a couple difficulties in this story. The most obvious is the struggle of being childless. The struggle some people have with not having a child can feel very personal. Perhaps you know couples who actually avoid this Bible story because it's too personal. They need to avoid a lot of Bible stories. Sarah, 
Rebecca, Rachel, Leah maybe, maybe not, Hannah, Elizabeth. Those stories can be hard to process and they keep coming up over and over again. Some find this story hard because it just hits too close to home. And if it hit close to home for you, remember, Kermansville Alliance holds you in their prayers. And God loves you. He sees your struggle. And God will turn your sorrow to laughter. There is a second reason this story can be difficult. I, I, it's what, I don't really know how to phrase this, so I'm calling it the common difficulty of miracles. <laughs> miracles are a little bit of a problem. Hey, God, I got a problem with these miracles. <laughs> Let me explain what I'm saying. Everyone who comes to the Bible with sorrow looks for hope in the Bible, looks for help in the Bible. And sometimes when we read the story of Abraham and Sarah, or we read a story of the lame walking, or we read the story of a blind person seeing, or of a deaf mute being able to hear and speak, this is a sentence that comes to our mind. What about me? What about me? Sometimes Jesus heals. I've seen it. You know, uh, I've experienced it. You'll have to listen carefully to catch the nuance of this. And I have permission from my children to share this. Laurel and I have grandchildren whose delay in being conceived and born was a great sorrow. In our family. Do you understand that sentence? And Laurel and I consider their presence as nothing less than a miracle. He turned our sorrow to laughter. Sometimes God does miracles. Sometimes, as quick as I say that, I have to acknowledge sometimes God doesn't heal as you and I might want him to heal. And I've seen that too. You've seen it. We've experienced it. And I have come to the place in my life, or maybe I should say I'm coming to the place in my life, where even when he doesn't heal, I believe he will redeem the situation. And I believe that God will turn sorrow to laughter. He does that. As you come to the Lord's Supper, what issues is God pressing in your own life, in your story? You know, as I look back on the story of Isaac's birth, I I would say to you that there are a number of things we can pick up from that story that would really be helpful in our own pain. One One of those things, as we look at the birth of Isaac, One of those things that we learn is that it is okay to hurt. I don't mean it's okay to hurt others. I mean it's okay to feel hurt. Notice in this story, there's nowhere that God tells Abraham and Sarah, all right, get over it. (laughs) He never does that. He never does that. God doesn't say, Abraham, look at all the other blessings I've given you. No, 
You don't hear God saying that. Nowhere does he say, Sarah, there are lots of people that have this problem. He doesn't mention that. God allows them to feel their pain. He even allows them to make some radical decisions, Hagar. He even allows them to make some radical decisions in response to their pain. And he doesn't seem to judge them for doing so. I'm not advising you to follow their example in that. I am saying that God never removed his loving hand of redemption from their life. And he will never remove his loving hand of redemption from your life. It's okay to hurt. Don't be afraid to express what you're feeling. Because communion tells you that he loves you deeply and he, he will redeem that sorrow as you express it to him. He will turn it to laughter. And as you approach communion, come to him with an open and honest heart and a humble heart looking for him to pour his healing into your own life. What issue is God pressing in your story? That issue may be the vehicle whereby God will show you his compassion. And that compassion may arrive in an answer to prayer. That's what happened for Abraham and Sarah. But that compassion may arrive differently in your life. There's a temptation in my mind that I want to say, well, yeah, but God did that for Abraham and Sarah. She's 90. She was 90. There was a lot of her life where she was like, what about me? What about me? Compassion may arrive at a different time in your life or in a different way in your life or take a different form in your life, but it will satisfy your soul and it will turn your sorrow to laughter. As you prepare for communion right now, Say to God, God, show me your compassion in the issue that you're pressing. Because your path of sorrow may be the perfect vantage point from which to see God's grace. So my wife had a birthday a month or so ago. And uh, man, I, I have a love-hate relationship with Amazon. One of the things I love about Amazon is that wish list because I just go in and say, what does she want for her birthday? I'll get her this because she has that list. That's handy for guys that are just clueless. Me, right? So I got her this book that she asked for by K.J. Ramsey. She said to me the other day, thank you for picking that book for me. It's so helpful. (laughs) She's so gracious, isn't she? It was on your list, sweetheart. Yeah, I know. Thanks for getting it. K.J. Ramsey is a woman who is a licensed professional counselor. She's obviously an author. She calls herself a recovering idealist. Think about that for a minute. Like, I'm an idealist. I think life should just be this way. Wait, it's not? How do I recover from that, right? And she says this. She says that she believes that sorrow and joy coexist in life. My head knows she's right. In her book, This Too Shall Pass, she writes of the way weakness reveals God's presence. 
listen as I, I read some segments from that introduction to that book. It's only about 15 sentences. While the world has always worshipped strength, God chose weakness to display his love. The spectacle of God's love was never power or prestige, but descent. And it is those who wear spectacles of tears who get the best glimpse of that beautiful descent. Somehow, it's when you're seated instead of standing, well aware of our own lack of strength that we can most clearly see his. Suffering can be the place we wake up to the power and presence of Christ. So listen to this more closely than those who would taunt or judge, including yourself. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. The parts of your story that seem to be keeping you from strength and significance are what God calls chosen and valuable. Wow. I don't know what else K.J. Ramsey is. But she gets it. That's just right on. That God is always aware of what you're going through. And if you buy the human idea that your life should be just like this, and it turns out just like this, you deprive yourself of the opportunity to see God in his glory, in your life. You deprive yourself of the opportunity to experience his grace on a deep, deep level. We're going to have communion right now. And this is a moment for you. You guys can come up if you want to. We'll take just a moment for some quiet music. This is a moment for you to to think through your own pain. And your own pain might be very much like Sarah's, but your own pain may be something like, I don't know, something different. I don't want to say anything because that limits it. You know what the issue is that God presses in your life. You know what your pain is. Can you today Say, God, I trust you as I walk this path of pain to turn my sorrow into joy. And can you, from that mindset, develop a heart set? Is that a word? From that mindset, develop a mentality of heart, a sense of spiritual outlook that says, it is well with my soul. I walk this path trusting in you, God. Because if you can do that, it changes everything. So just in the quietness of your heart, 
as Laurel plays for a moment, or Drew, I'm not sure who's playing, as the music plays for a moment, just in the quietness of your heart, talk to God about the issue he presses in your story. on our heart. Somehow or other, we often feel like we're alone in those. You keep bringing them up, and that reminds us that we're not alone in them. We do not want to be possessed by those sorrows. We want to be men and women of faith who, in the midst of sorrow, can embrace hope and joy. We want to be men and women who trust you boys and girls who trust you. That although we might be dealing with things that seem overwhelming, nothing would overwhelm those who are in your hand and that you will turn our sorrow to laughter. We trust you because of Christ Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread I'm going to ask you to open yours and place your wafer in your hand. He said, this is my body, which is for you. I'm going to ask Reverend Evilsizer if he would pray a prayer of thanks for the body of Christ, and then we'll take it together. Jim. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great plan of redemption. And we are thankful for so many blessings today not the least of which is what you have done for the Smays. We thank you, Father, that you give us life. We live and move and have our very being in you. We thank you for the life of Christ represented by this bread. And may his life live in and through us to his glory and honor. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The body of Christ. The scripture says that afterward he took the cup, and I've asked Bob Lope if he would pray for the cup, words of thanksgiving for the blood of Christ. Bob? Heavenly Father, It is so good to have these symbols to remind us on a monthly basis that you are the almighty provider and and our Savior, and by believing this and in you, 
that we will have eternal life, Lord. Uh, so grateful and thankful for this blessing. We pray you would take the symbol of your shed blood and use it, Lord, to remind us that we will have eternal life by being believers. And we just love you so much, and we thank you for your grace and ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The blood of Christ.